Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's no doubt that non-fungible tokens are having a moment. Investors are using them to buy NFT art, rights to professional basketball highlights, viral memes, celebrity tweets, recording artists are even using them to distribute their music. And now there's an NFT market for real estate and it exists purely in the virtual world. Now also more commonly known as the metaverse. The popularity and quick adoption of the metaverse has led to the evolution of an entirely new asset class, digital real estate investment. Janine Yorio joins us today from Republic Realm. It's the first ever digital real estate NFT fund. Thanks for coming on Real Vision. Thanks for having me, Haley. So let's jump right into it. Republic Realm launched earlier this year. You're the first digital real estate NFT fund. It was just a matter of time really before somebody built a fund around it. How would you really explain digital real estate to the average investor? So if somebody is less familiar with what a metaverse is, I start by saying a metaverse is like a video game, except unlike most video games, there's no stated objective. You're not trying to kill people or there's really no goal other than just to exist and figure out how you feel most comfortable. The metaverse is a place where you do all of that. And digital real estate is the real estate inside that game. So when you play a video game, whether it's Super Mario Brothers or Madden Football or Fortnite, as your avatar walks around that world, the space inside that game is technically real estate. With digital real estate, that real estate can actually be bought and sold and even developed. So you can put buildings on it, you can put whatever you want on it. The concept of digital real estate and in a fund structure means that you're buying real estate inside a metaverse game with the goal of holding it, developing it, and eventually selling it for a profit. And the growing popularity of cryptocurrencies and NFTs, you know, this emerging tech boom we're seeing, the rise of retail investors, all amidst the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, have really fueled this recent interest in digital assets. When did it click for you that digital real estate is a legitimate asset class? I know this was something you and your colleague had been talking about for nearly three years. Yeah, so Decentraland's been around for a while and it was the first crypto-based metaverse, but metaverses generally have existed for quite some time. So the Sims the Sims and SimCity franchise were really the first and then Second Life, which had a big run in the early 2000s, uh, were metaverses, but they were not crypto-based. So then Decentraland came along and used blockchain technology and combined it with this metaverse concept and started gaining some steam. Then all of a sudden a pandemic hit and people were forced inside their homes. Socialization became something you did on Zoom. Um, Time spent in video games actually became a matter of mental health. Like I saw it happening with my children where I used to scream at them for playing video games. And then they said, but mom, it's the only way we can talk to our friends. That's where we socialize. And so I think the, the, it accelerated during the pandemic because online socialization became really our only form of socialization. So you have all these macro, macro trends taking effect. 
um, a well understood and already popular model, the metaverse, cryptocurrencies having a real moment, um, NFTs suddenly becoming it went from being something very obscure to the point where it's so mainstream that Saturday Night Live does a spoof about it. And you have the the improvement of these metaverse games where they're actually engaging and enough so that real world companies are starting to spend time figuring out how to use them and more and more people are spending time on them. So it really is the perfect storm. And when I saw all of those things happening, it just seemed like what I thought might just be an obscure, um, not necessarily very popular way to invest, it felt like something that actually was worthy of the consideration consideration of like an institutional quality mindset and bringing that to this asset class because there's so much excitement around it. And I think people want to be a part of it. But when you actually try to figure out how to do it yourself, it's kind of complicated. And then when you overlay asset management strategies, like when to buy, how to price things, when to sell, what to do with the land when you own it, it's actually a pretty complicated undertaking, almost like real world real estate investing. So that's where we decided the moment was now, there was enough demand and we could actually do something very meaningful from a financial standpoint with this product. Yeah, and I want to jump into that, you know, in a little more detail here. So your fund owns land in multiple metaverses, like you said, Decentraland, which is the first metaverse to be built on the blockchain, the Sandbox, Axie Infinity, Crypto Voxels, among others. And the unit of land in the metaverse is what's called a parcel. Can you explain what that is and how they're used and how you really determine what to develop on the land um, that you buy across these different metaverses? So I'm, I'm reluctant to keep using the video game analogy, but it's one that we're also familiar with. Let's start there. When you play inside a video game, normally the characters have a human scale. So there are cars, there are buildings. And um, when you talk about the size of a video game, you often talk about it in kilometers or, or square miles. So a really big video game has a, a much bigger area. It might be a hundred kilometers square. That's an enormous video game. A parcel of land inside each land uh, inside each metaverse has a specific size that relates to a real world metric. So for example, in Decentraland, a parcel of land is 16 meters squared, 16 meters on each side, which is about 48 feet on each side. So it's about 50 by 50 square feet um, on each side. So it's a pretty big piece of land. You can actually put something pretty meaningful on it. Um, and you can develop whatever you want. You could put a house, you could put um, very popular in Decentraland are casinos. Um, you can put an art gallery, which are also exceedingly popular because people own these NFTs and they want a place to, to host them and to house them or even to sell them. But you're only limited by your creativity. You do have zoning requirements, just like you do in the real world. So if you have one parcel, you can build a certain height. If you have 10 parcels that are contiguous, you can build a taller structure on it. But people are doing really interesting things. And if you have time to visit um, the metaverse, whether it's Decentraland or any of the others, you'll start to see how in a, in a universe where you bring human proportions, but you don't have any constraints of physics, right? Like buildings don't fall down. They don't have to actually be impervious to weather or earthquakes or any of these things. It's actually really exciting from an architectural standpoint too. People are doing really clever things, lots of curves and um, you know, very narrow, tall buildings and things that probably would never exist in the real world because they, they'd probably fall over. And are you comfortable sharing how many parcels of land uh, Republic Realm owns across all metaverses? The last I read was around 30 parcels. Oh, no, we own a lot more than that. And it changes every day. I mean, a parcel of land, depending on the um, game you're talking, or the, I'm sorry, the metaverse you're talking about, mm -hmm. they range in price from, say, $1,500 to $8,000. 
And we have a pretty large fund, so we're constantly acquiring. We own hundreds of parcels and we're always buying more. We like to buy large assemblages that are multiple parcels, maybe 10, 20, 30 parcels at a time. Um, and so we're always making new acquisitions and always looking to find interesting transaction opportunities for us. So this is all what you call part of your proprietary valuation model, really how you identify prime digital real estate. So valuing real estate in the metaverse is, is not totally dissimilar from valuing in real in the real world. Um, you look at a few things. The most important is market comparables. So what are comparable parcels selling for in that metaverse? And that really drives the price because today, um, most parcels are worth roughly the same amount of money. Now, certain things might make it more valuable, like being really close to a popular casino or being really close to the entry point. So every, every metaverse starts in the same place when you start when you start to play at the beginning of, of each session. So being close to that area often makes it much more valuable. So you look at market comparables, you look at things like foot traffic, which is how many people pass by or how many avatars pass by your site on a given day. Um, you look at what are the other adjacent uses and whether you think being near them would make your, your parcel or whatever you plan to develop on it more valuable. And we have a model that um, scrapes information from the different metaverses so that we always have a snapshot of what's happening in the market. And we can keep track of real world pricing considerations so that we can make very quick decisions about whether to buy a parcel and what to pay for it. And so we're seeing many headlines on the NFT boom that have been around art, music, and collectibles. How do metaverses really play into that? Are they interconnected? They're definitely interconnected in that they're correlated. So the excitement over NFTs has obviously driven up their price across art, music, um, and even, you know, whatever you want to call things like crypto kitties, you know, novelty items that are digital. Um, and, and so surely that's fueling some of the speculation in virtual real estate. I think the difference is that there's a chance that a lot of the NFT art and music ultimately doesn't have a lot of value. I think certain things will hold their value, like presumably Beeple art or, or other really famous uh, art that's being supported in the secondary market by galleries in the real world. Um, digital real estate, if the metaverse is successful, then that real estate should, should maintain value. Now, whether it maintains value at the current price is very speculative, but it has a utility in that as avatars or people that are using the metaverse are passing by it, you can do things with that real estate that has value. So you can, on, on the very simplest level, you could put up a billboard and sell it as an advertising space for a consumer brand. And that happens in traditional video games all the time. That's a multi-billion dollar industry. So as long as the metaverses are successful and users are using them, that real estate has a utility that should give it value. Whether that value is you know, $1,000 a parcel or a million dollars a parcel will largely depend on a few things, uh, adoption, and then whether this speculative interest is something that becomes more widespread and, and more widely adopted. And it seems like the value of parcels of land in the metaverse are more closely related to the perceived scarcity than they are to the utility. How can you monetize parcels of land and what factors really contribute to the appreciation in the price of land in the metaverse? So every metaverse has a predefined number of land parcels that the developers of that particular universe lay out in their white paper. So they'll tell you, we're going to build 90,000 parcels or 100,000 parcels. So you know at the outset what the ultimate number is. Now, usually the metaverse developers um, sell the land in phases. So they don't release it all at one time. They um, sell a few at a time, oftentimes through an auction process. And that will 
obviously increase just like any auction does that feeling of FOMO and that desire for people to pay the highest price in order to win in an auction process. What fuels the future value and the appreciation of those parcels is um, more people believing that there is underlying value to that real estate, which is kind of a mix of why people value art, which is the more people believe in it, the more valuable it becomes. And then also things that you can measure, like the user statistics around that metaverse, how many people are using it a day, how many people are returning to it a day, how much money are they spending in that metaverse? So, so it's kind of a, a mashup between art in the sense that the intrinsic value is not necessarily related to the actual real world value. It's a piece of art is not valued on how much the artist spent on paint or canvas, right? It's how much the world believes that piece of art is worth. So there's a portion of that in digital real estate, but there's also a large portion that is attributable to metrics like foot traffic and, and user, user information. So, you know, when we look at cryptocurrencies, there's over 10,000 different, different cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin's market cap dominance, for example, has fallen from 90% in its early days to around 50% where it is today. What's to say that new metaverses won't come about that will take away the market share from these fast movers that you're investing in today? So um, I think, first of all, if there, there are a lot of responses to that. If you believe in a future that looks something like Ready Player One, where people are spending massive amounts of time online, um, and you believe that humans are kind of tribal and sort by their interests, there is an opportunity for many different metaverses to coexist. So there could be one that's all about sports and one that's all about art and one that's all about young people and one that's for old people. You know, there are a million different ways that people sort themselves. So there's an opportunity for many winners. But the second is that the whole point of crypto and, and NFTs are that things are transferable between the universes. So what you own in one, you might be able to move into another. So it's not necessarily... Um, that one will cannibalize the other. It's it, There's almost like a free movement across this ecosystem. And the metaverses are all part of one ecosystem. Oftentimes they're all built on the same Ethereum blockchain. And so theoretically, the vision is that things can move freely between them and that they form an economy together, almost like countries that are part of a world as opposed to worlds in, in a situation where there can only be one world that dominates. So if you think about it more like that, like it's, it's a globe, and there can be lots of different countries and they can coexist and share and, and have economies that interact with each other, then I think you get a better sense for how multiple metaverses can win. There's obviously no guarantee which of the metaverses that exist today is going to be the winner or the one that succeeds over the long term. But I think this idea of being able to move things around between them is why people are comfortable spending so much money on things inside them. Unlike games like Fortnite or Minecraft, where you can you can buy things on eBay that you can use in those games. You can't use them in other games. So you can't take a Fortnite skin and wear it in Minecraft. But theoretically, you can take your uh, Adidas shoes from Decentraland and wear them in Sandbox. Now, I don't think a lot of that technology exists today, but that is the vision for the future. And, and can you explain like the dynamics of the primary and secondary markets and how parcels of land trade hands um, in those metaverses? Sure, so when a game developer first begins their uh, metaverse, they often have a land sale. Sometimes it's even a land pre-sale. So people will buy the ability to buy land in the future once the land is minted and exists. So the developer will often offer a fixed amount of their overall land, maybe say five to 10% of it in a sale. They might conduct it, conduct it like an auction. 
they might also sell it through a marketplace like OpenSea. Um, it depends. There are different ways they can do it. Some of the metaverses have their own marketplace built inside them where people can buy and sell things. But the secondary market is where it gets interesting because then it starts to resemble the real world where land is sold in lots of different ways. Like you and I might text each other after this show and you might say, hey, I have 10 parcels in Sandbox. Do you want to buy them? Right. Like just like you might if you owned a timeshare in Myrtle Beach. Um, we also might uh, transact through a third party marketplace like OpenSea. We also might transact through an in metaverse marketplace. So there are lots of different places where people are transacting and land telegram and discord often have channels for each of the metaverses and people are buying and selling things between each other in off market um, transactions all the time. So there are lots of different ways that once the land is sold from the game developer, it then re enters the market through these different secondary mechanisms. How does your fund determine fair value for parcels of land? It's not like anyone can go and create more parcels of land. I understand there's a certain cap given it's on the blockchain and you know the white papers that these metaverses release when they you know launch. We look at things like um, uh, what other market comparables are in that metaverse. So what other people are willing to pay. We look for price support. Uh, what we think is sort of the maximum price we would be willing to pay relative to where we've seen a previous, say, the, the previous 10% of transactions having occurred, especially in anything crypto-based. There's so much volatility. There's oftentimes exuberance where prices can go up literally 10% in a day. Um, we have to be very careful of not getting overexcited and overpaying just because it feels like that's where the market is moving. We want to make sure we try to take as much of a historical perspective as is possible in an industry that has you know six months of operating history. Um, also, one thing to bear in mind when you're thinking about price, these uh, parcels do not trade in US dollars. So there's a currency uh, risk that you're taking as well. So you have to convert usually Ethereum which you, you had to convert US dollars to Ethereum, then you convert Ethereum to whatever the metaverse's currency is, whether it, in Decentraland it's called Mana, in Sandbox it's called Sand. You convert to those tokens and those tokens also fluctuate in value. So you have all of these underlying currency trades that you can't really hedge against that will also move the price. So if the price goes up in Mana, but then Mana went up 10% also, then that could effectively be a you know 15 to 20% increase in the the equivalent US dollar value for that land. So you have to be thinking about all these different factors at the same time and how they interrelate to each other. There's also gas fees, which are, are something that um, if you, depending on what time of day you transact, you might have to pay additional gas fees and you have to then build that into your, your investment basis and make sure you're comfortable with that price. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Can you walk us through a little bit more about how returns are generated? You know, what's the upside of investing in a fund like Republic Realm long term? So we intend to create value in a, in a few different ways. The most easy to understand is buy, hold, and sell, right? We buy we buy early, like I would say it's early today in all the metaverses. We hold for some unspecified period of time and we sell when we've realized a gain that we think is attractive. Um, that's the easiest, that's minimal interaction. It's little value add. It's just really about market timing and, and buying early and selling later when things have appreciated. 
But the second and more interesting way we create value is by developing the land. So we actually act as a developer, just like a real estate developer would in the real world, and we build things on it. So for example, we're building a shopping mall um, right now that will have tenants in it that will pay us rent based on just a base rent and also a percentage of their sales from that shopping mall. And that will generate income, which just like a traditional real estate investment might actually end up paying dividends to the fund. Now the fund won't necessarily dividend those out to the fund investors, but that will be a way for the fund to generate recurring cash flow, which would be a very interesting way to create more value on that land than just buying and holding it. In fact, it's our intention to develop most of what we buy because we believe that the value of each of these metaverses will increase exponentially as we do cool things that build community and content inside them so that more and more people visit. The whole point is to make them stickier and more attractive to people who might not even know what a metaverse is today so that they become more mainstream. And that will also drive the value of those land parcels. So we're trying to think of things that are really interesting and compelling so that people will wanna come back over and over again to see what's new, what's next, or just get addicted to what's there already. Can you share some of the tenants that, you know, may be occupying some of your real estate and land of uh, parcels of land there? I mean, I know Domino's is in there. I know Adidas is in there. Like, for example, you can order uh, pizza, you know, in the metaverse and get it delivered to your door, or you can try on a pair of shoes in the metaverse and get it delivered to you at home. So just, you know, some examples in which you think that um, it can be applicable. I think, first of all, I think some of those stories are not entirely true. So I believe the Domino's story was actually, it might've been done by a hacker who, who didn't necessarily have the, the consent of Domino's to do that. It's still very cool nonetheless. And then I think Domino's subsequently announced announced that they were going to do something similar. Um, the, the Adidas one was a drop where they dropped sneakers into the metaverse and people could claim them for free. There was like a fixed number of Adidas sneakers. What we're talking about is more traditional, um, almost like a real world shopping mall. There'll be tenants that display their merchandise and then you can order, um, the merchandise in the case of the mall world building, all of the tenants make digital clothing. So we haven't yet released the names of those tenants. We will in the future. Um, we just are being very concerted about uh, releasing that information, but it is a digital wearables shopping mall where people can buy clothing that they can wear in the metaverse. And then the sense of community, how important is a strong community for this to be successful, for people to, you know, want to be part of the metaverse and, you know, this digital real estate investment? It's absolutely essential. Um, the technology required to build a metaverse is actually fairly readily available. It's not it's not that groundbreaking. And, it, and if you're a game developer, it's actually fairly straightforward. What makes metaverses work is their ability to attract customers, the ability to create a real economy around that metaverse, which is really the brilliance of Decentraland. Um, it's not so much that the metaverse itself is that compelling yet, but Decentraland's ability to attract so much real world investment capital and build this real ecosystem and marketplace that has real volume and, and liquidity in it is really what makes it so interesting. And that is the most important thing when you think about metaverses because there's no guarantee that the best technology will win. What will win is the metaverse that's best able to grow their community and have that community remain engaged and, and create kind of a natural virality so that the users are telling their friends and, and it builds on itself. And that's, that's why when we look at new projects and we try to decide to invest in really early stage metaverses, we want to understand, obviously, the technology piece that's, that's critical, but so essential that it's, it's very secondary. What we want to understand is how they're going to engage the very earliest of adopters, 
the people who are going to be using that metaverse on Twitch, how they're going to bring in influencers and how they're going to start building the kernel of a community that's going to have some longevity to it and not just be a one hit wonder. And I've heard you really compare buying land in the metaverse to buying land in Manhattan in the 1750s. I would love for you to expand upon that thought a little bit. It definitely requires, uh, buying land in the metaverse definitely requires taking a bit of a leap. You have to have some vision about what it could become in the future because when you visit it today, it's very rough. Um, and the developers of Decentraland, for example, and I keep using that example because that is the one that's the farthest along that's actually launched, they call it the Bronze Age meaning they acknowledge that it's still very early and that things are still a bit rudimentary, but the vision is fairly complex and layered and nuanced and, and in the future will look more photo real and have more interactivity to it. So the people that are comfortable investing today, especially large amounts of money, are the people that can see those possibilities, even though they aren't necessarily fully mapped out today. So it's kind of like when you know somebody came to you in 1750 and said, no, 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 really, I know it looks like farm fields, but one day there are going to be skyscrapers here and it's going to be filled with people. The, the average person would never have understood that vision, but a few people really did, or at least they had the good luck to have owned a farm in the right place at the right time. And those are the people that I think long-term will benefit because they'll buy at prices that sound expensive today. But when you look back on them five, 10 years down the road, you'll be like, really? You bought land in the sandbox for $1,800 a parcel and a million people a day from all around the world pass by and you can sell them pretty much anything from there. That's nuts because that same piece of land in the real world with that kind of foot traffic would be worth $10, $20 million, you know? Right. There's no doubt it's risky, but you know, there is such a thing as maybe being too early when it comes to investing in the digital realm. You know, what do you think about that? Absolutely. Um, every investor that we bring into this fund, we make sure that they understand how speculative this asset class is. It's really early. It's crypto based and therefore insanely volatile. Um, it's very early uh, and it has to be the right type of investment for people that are comfortable with that risk reward ratio. It's not, it's called real estate, but it's nothing like real world real estate. You should expect total loss of principal. In fact, you would be insane not to assume that the most likely scenario is that you lose a lot of money. The, the black swan scenario is that we're right on all of our investments and this, this fund does a hundred X return in crypto though. That's not, it's not an outcome that people don't actually uh, place weight on because it's happened enough times that people have been rewarded for taking really early risk. Are you starting to see more people from the traditional real estate market coming into the metaverse though? Are people reaching out to you guys? Absolutely. Um, it's actually overwhelming how many real world companies are reaching out to us and wanting to do things. Mm -hmm. and, and, and a lot of times they don't even know what they want to do. They just know they want to be a part of it. And so their, their interest is so amorphous. They're like, no, 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 but we just want to get in. I'm like, you know, I have a fairly lean team. I need you to give me more specifics. And they're like, we don't know what it is, but we just want to be there. And we want to be there now. And, and it's exciting, um, but you want to make sure that the, the energy is going in the right direction. And that those groups also understand how speculative it is. Because what, what I don't want to do is create all this enthusiasm and exuberance and have them invest a lot of time and money. And it's kind of not the right development for the right time, or it's off brand, you know, things that are really stayed in the real world probably don't play well in the metaverse where you have really early adopters who are very tech savvy. So you want to make sure that things are, are kind of the right, just the right flavor for the people that are spending time in the metaverse now um, to make sure that we, we get things right. Like, I don't think, for example, 
you know, my mother loves Talbots. Talbots has no place in the metaverse, at least not today, you know, uh, whereas digital wearables feel very native and natural in a place where people are spending money on sneakers that you can only wear in a metaverse. Does Republic Realm only accept U.S. dollars into the fund or do you also um, accept, you know, crypto subscriptions? We don't accept subscriptions yet, um, but it is we do accept uh, crypto. Um, and then just, you know, in regards to NFTs in general, are you worried that an NFT bubble is forming? Obviously, this is all unfolding really very quickly. Yeah, I think there's definitely um, a lot of speculation in this space. I don't worry about it as much as other people. I think it's just like the art world in some ways where, yes, people will pay stupid money for pieces of art that might never be worth anything. Um, but there is there is a it's also like investing in restaurants. Like a lot of people will be wrong, but people will continue to do it because it's fun. And um, enough people will be rewarded for taking big risk that even the people who made bad decisions will still see how, had they made a slightly different decision, they could have been the person that, you know, bought a, a Basquiat painting, you know, really early before anybody knew who Basquiat was. So I, it's, it's, it is a lot like art. There's obviously a lot of interest, a lot of money flowing into it. But I also think it's radically transformed the art and music world and the entire content world very, very quickly. And that is here to stay. And people had always been spending a lot of money on art and music. So if that shifts so that they're spending 10% of what they used to spend in traditional art and music, and now they're spending it in um, NFTs, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think that number will expand over time. And back to the metaverses, I mean, they've received up to, you know, 10x return in under two years. You know, Decentraland, I think, was selling parcels of land for around $500 in 2019. And today it's around $8,000. And the Sandbox was selling land for $30. And now it's around $900. So where do you see this really, you know, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? I think we'll see in the next year or so um, the emergence of dominance and we'll see we'll start to see what the winners are we'll have a sense of what the winners are likely to be, which is why we think it's so important to have a really diversified portfolio today. It's not really clear, um, knowing what we know now, which market leaders are going to emerge as the the really the, the biggest player out there the the Facebook of metaverses. Um, and so we're being very um, concerted about making sure that we give our fund investors exposure to lots of different platforms to be sure that they're, they have a, a tiny sliver of lots of different possibilities. And would love to get your take on Mike Novogratz. Uh, he's, you know, Gal of Galaxy Digital, you know, one of the most well-known crypto investors. He led a $36 million investment into Republic, um, your affiliate company last month that helped really propel your digital investment fund forward. What was this impact of the uh, investment on your fund? It didn't necessarily have an impact on the fund. I think it had such a halo effect on Republic generally. We've been doing a lot of really um, notable things in crypto and then obviously attracting Galaxy Digital as our lead investor into the company just further validated all of the work we've been doing on crypto over the last several years. So naturally, that has had a very positive effect on the fund and how people perceive it and, and also um, understanding that we're running it in an institutional way, the way that Mike Novogratz has run Galaxy Digital in an institutional way. It's added credibility. So we're seeing more institutional investors start to get involved with Bitcoin, you know, hedge funds, publicly traded companies. 
Do you think institutional investors will get more involved with digital real estate anytime soon? We already have several institutional investors in this fund, so I think absolutely. And given Coinbase went public last week, how is crypto becoming more mainstream, really impacting the digital real estate boom? I think you can see the difference between um, metaverse tokens that trade on Coinbase, like Decentraland, and ones that don't. For example, SAN token is something you have to buy using Ethereum and Uniswap or, or another um, another platform. It's not on a mainstream exchange yet. And you can see how once uh, tokens make their way to Coinbase, which is so widely used and such now a mainstream app, it has a tremendous impact on that token's trading volume and, and ultimately its price and price discovery. So I think the, the Coinbase effect has been very, very positive for crypto generally. Um, the fact that it's a publicly listed company, I think, gives people who are concerned even more confidence in using Coinbase. So it's overall very net positive for crypto as a whole. And, and anything that's good for crypto is good for digital real estate. Um, OK, and then last question. The way there are REITs you know, publicly traded today, do you foresee an ETF-like vehicle to trade parcels of land in the metaverse? And if so, how long? Uh, that is something we are considering doing in the future. No guarantees. It's something we're exploring. And we definitely envision enough popular interest in a product like this where that could very likely become uh, something that we would see in the near future. Janine, this was a really fun conversation. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us on Real Vision today. Thank you so much, Haley. Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on Real Vision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because Real Vision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo at realvision.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.